for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So many of our viewers listen to our show and think, man, those guys have got it together. Look, y'all, we do a lot of things right. But believe you me when I say that's because we've done a lot of things wrong or had things just flat out go wrong. On tonight's show, Joe, Luis, and myself share some of our favorite mishaps from over the years and hopefully some of the things we've learned from them. It's elk hunting lemons to lemonade. That along with our shout outs and a very special thank you and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas, one of the leaders of the Venezuelan Mafia, Luis Gonzalez, and our elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia from Cimarron, New Mexico. What's going on, fellas? <laughs> hey, guys. Hey. Big O, what is going on, man? Big O is in the house, back from OKC. Uh, <laughs> the girls lit it up this weekend up in Tulsa, and 
the college ranks are going wild, man. Uh, it was uh, it's awesome. one for the and, record And for you guys for sure. not being able to watch this on YouTube and just listening, um, Big Beto, uh, because of the <laughs> scars of his coaching techniques, is now left uh, looking like a big raccoon. Rocky raccoon. <laughs> I swear, man, looks like the dude went and fell asleep on a beach with sunglasses on, man. <laughs> He's hey, if you guys know me, this uh, is like trademark, right? I mean, I, I got a boss. Well, he's no longer my boss, but uh, <laughs> I used to have a boss uh, who would just freak out at my raccoon eyes, man. He'd think I was fishing every day. And he was partly right. But at the end of the day, man, uh, you got to wear good lenses to look this good. <laughs> oh, and, and talking about the Venezuela Mafia, I was just on, uh, I was a guest on uh, the Where to Hunt podcast, and, right. and they were talking about the Elk Bros, and, and I brought up, I said, you know, I said, yeah, we have Luis Gonzalez and uh, Manano Graterón, you know, uh, our yeah. Venezuela Mafia. I can't mafia. tell they you about like, the Venezuelan Mafia, because then yeah. I'll have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. right. uh, I, I'd tell you more, but I'd have to kill you, man. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah people are asking. <laughs> we tell you more, but we're, we're protecting your life by not. Yeah, people want the, to know, Luis. People yeah. want to know, man. I, I like I like the mysterious <laughs> thoughts of the the mafia behind it. But trust me, there's there's nothing. There's no mafia there. It's just uh, <laughs> two dudes. Bull crap! After each other. I bet you there's some boys back home that could fill the void. That's right. Some family members. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so guys, there's some crispy I, boys up there in Dallas too. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I don't know. I'm I'm real pumped to announce that this tonight is an incredibly special show. Uh, tonight, y'all, we oh, want to yeah. give all of our listeners an uh, incredibly huge special. Elk Bros, thank you for helping us achieve, get this, a huge milestone. Our show has just topped 100,000 downloads. Can you believe that, man? That's, That's unbelievable, Joe. Oh, man. So cool. Oh, 100,000. Yeah, Gilbert, we got 30 yeah. listeners, Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. Remember that day, man? You remember that I, I day? I do. Yeah, uh, so sure. let me ask you guys, what do you think we should do to celebrate a special milestone? Give away. Give away. Give away. Yeah, let's do it. So grinders. We are going to have a special Elk Bros milestone giveaway. If you want to find out about it, go to elkbros.com and click on the milestone giveaway section that you're going to see on the front page for more on the prizes and the instructions on how to win. And let me tell you, it has to include some Elk Bros gear. That's for sure, right? <laughs> it's going to be absolutely, and, and we'll make sure it's not the dark shirt, man. We, we hey, I was going to say, man, that yeah, you know, that the the black one's pretty slick, you know. So that's, uh, that's my favorite one right there. So I'm real excited about that, man. You know, I I would have never thought that we'd have been at this point in time a hundred thousand. I mean, we're talking one year, three months, and we're over a thousand downloads, and that's a I bunch. Think, it is, man. It's a whole doggone yeah. bunch. And, well, you know, just, just I, kind of in retrospective, Joe, just go back to, you know, the simple idea being talked about at L Camp, you know, a couple of years ago, right? I mean, it's just from where it's at now. I mean, the amount of work that you guys have put in into this is 
it's been incredible and and it shows you know, and people yeah. people enjoy it and people appreciate it man and that's yeah that's super fulfilling you know for you guys i'm sure to see how this has grown man. well i can tell you my biggest worry about doing a podcast was you know uh after three weeks what are we going to talk about you know <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> you know uh but yeah. it, it it's amazing how many nuances and and how many things that that we do or that we know about that a lot of times you just take for granted and that so many people are looking for some of those things that that God, I just take for granted sometimes. And I think it's so cool because, you know, a lot of times, Luis, I get your perspective. I get Gilbert's perspective. I get Chav's perspective, all these different levels. And then there's Manano, man, you know, yeah. coming in. You know, Brandon Houlihan, who's on his adventure mm -hmm. right now. Um, Brandon's got one year under his belt with us. And, and you know, he's doing some things now to, to really add to that. And, you know, it, it just really reminds me of a lot of stuff you know it's like living here in Cimarron you know we walk out our door every every day and sometimes we forget to look up and really take in those mountains and how beautiful this place is that we live you know so you bet. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's been I think the best thing about doing this is it has helped remind me of a lot of the things that are that are special to me and special to us as a group. So talking about um, the, the the things that are important, the things that you enjoy, the things that you like, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I start driving up into the mountains is to lower the windows in my car and just take the fresh air yeah. air in and just how good it smells man i just that's that's something that marks me every three every trip every time yeah. i get there go through that gate and we start driving up just lower the windows and just smell that fresh air it's just second to none i always think of Absolutely. that moment are, are you sure that's not manano's clothes no, that's <laughs> yeah, that's brute by Fabergé. I do recognize that smell a mile away, and so do the elk. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm walking behind this guy, and I'm catching this fresh summer scent, and it's one yeah. I've never smelled in the mountains before, man. And and I'm like, bro, come here. And I'm like, I go up and smell his back, and I'm like, Manano, dude, man, that they, they they're. They're not joking, yep. dude. You, he's like, <laughs> and then he goes, and the, the the sad part about it is like, oh, Luis told you to tell me that. And I was like, no, dude, you you smell like freaking perfume. Uh, oh yeah, so man. Oh, but, well, guys, but, uh, go ahead. What? Go no, ahead. No, I was, gonna I was say, just going to lead us into the next segment. Go I was ahead, just going to say he's two. He's two for two, man. Oh, you know? man, so, that doesn't. He oh, yeah. doesn't count, man. He doesn't. <laughs> he count. don't count. He's hundred percent. He's batting a hundred, man. He's a stud, man. Don't There's count. no doubt. I, I, you Great know, shot. he's deer hunted. He's deer hunted with me several times, and you know, I've I've had to school him up on not wearing the shower curtain out there and <laughs> stuff like that. He's gotten a lot better, boy. I mean, he's pretty lethal with that freaking. Uh, bow in that stick. I'm telling you, yes, they, these boys. When, I watched what they did he last gets weekend. The chance to draw. Yeah, I watched <laughs> what they did last weekend on them little piggies, boy. They, they, uh, those pigs were got some got some serious pain and misery dealt to them. Buddy. Yeah, two, yeah, two, wait, two with one arrow no, at yeah. one time. 
Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. Dude, I, I did not get that. It took me watching the thing a couple of times, you know, before for, yeah. before I realized that, man. He, Look, yeah. People want to know about a setup. You go through two hogs and kill them, son. That's a setup because a hog's one of the most dense animals yeah. there is to shoot through. He didn't go through one. He went through two. Two of them. That was unbelievable. Double, 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 double two holes. Yeah. Double, double two arrow, holes. Man. Yeah. Yeah. One arrow. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you want to know what's good to shoot, yeah. I mean, he shoots exactly what we've been shoot, what I've been shooting for the last yeah, six years. Same, same year. And, uh, and Luis too, and it that is lethal. Awesome. It is that was a awesome, killing man. machine. Well, guys, you know what time it is? It's shout time out, for out, the Health Bros Shoutouts. Shout if you're new out. to our show, these are just shoutouts to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And Elk Bros Shoutout to those grinders giving us reviews, right? Keith yes, Palmer from Creelman, Saskatchewan, Canada. Oh, Shane man. Judy from Tomewater, Washington. Shane not only gave us his name and where he's from, but, dude, it was like home of the Tomewater High Thunderbirds, six-time football state champs, home of Olympia Brewery, Ouch. where the beer was brewed for over 100 years until 2000, man. 100-year-old legacy wow. right oh, there. Wow. So, Way close uh, too cool. Thank you guys for that. Um, we did have, again, we had some other reviews that uh, had no name or place to it. Uh, I We love the reviews. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But we would love to give you a shout-out if you'd like to hear that on here. So just attach that name in, uh, in that place, man. And then Big Elk Bros, welcome to our newest Patreon member supporting our programming, John Lang. Um, so, John, thank you, man, for what you're doing and yeah. how you're helping us out. That's way cool. Seriously, um, Mr. Thank Lang. you, John. And since this thank is you. our, you know, we're over that 100,000 downloads, I had to give our current overall the long haul top listening cities with the most downloads since our show began. And Guess drum roll, drum roll, please. <laughs> In the lead, first up is Big D Dallas, Texas. Man, wow, the, get down, very cool. Yeah. Texas showing out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not because of Manano because he never <laughs> listens to the podcast. No, he doesn't. He hasn't learned anything, has he, man? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> he, he's like, so he's weird. like, dude, I'm batting one thousand. I don't need nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Hundred uh, percent, Joel. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, and and there's been a battle between them and our close second. Man, it's gone back and forth over this last year. Up second currently right now, Denver, Colorado. Man, awesome. The the yeah. other big D man uh, is is rocking out. Third, and this rocked me right here. I thought this was so cool. The third top listening overall is Chicago, Illinois. Get out. The Windy City's in the house. The Windy City is just putting it out there, man. Uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota is fourth. And in fifth, battling Salt Lake City for the position is Portland, Oregon, bringing up huh. the fifth place spot there, man. That's These so have good. been. Uh, Long haul guys, how cool is that, huh? Very cool. Very cool. Isn't that cool? And and yes, we're sir. gonna have to we have to give a Oprah shout out to our overall long haul top listening countries with the most downloads since our show began. And up first, our brothers and sisters up to the north with a strong lead, Canada, leading it out. Australia is the runner up position. United wow. Kingdom is third. 
Get this, fourth place, Japan. What? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, fourth place, Japan. And in fifth is Mexico with Austria making a big move to jump into that top five, man. So, Look at wow, it. man. That's man, cool. that is so cool. So this is – so I'm sorry. and Maybe you said this. These are the top countries including the U.S. or after the U.S.? No, no, after the U.S. After the U.S. Oh, gotcha. After gotcha. The US. Outside yeah. the U Outside USA. of the U.S. Gotcha. Yeah, outside of the United States. These are other countries, our top listening countries outside the U.S., man. And uh, believe it or not, it's fit, the numbers that of listens that we've had from different countries, we've had 58 different countries listening to the show. So um, I don't know. Awesome. We we got a brother or sister over there in Uganda. We've got, I mean, we're, we're like all over the doggone place, man. It's, it's, it's really, really cool. So now for this week's top listening cities. In the Prohibition era, this week's top of the charts listening city had many gangsters come here to hide out when they were in trouble. Some famous gangsters believed to come to White Bear Lake are Ma Barker, Pretty Boy Floyd, and Al Capone. The lake there, from which the city gets its name, was called Mato by its Dakota people, which means white bear. Legend has it that an Indian brave rescued his love from a fierce white bear, and their children for many years played upon the skin of the white bear. So huge Elk Bro shout-out for this week to going to White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Yeah. Awesome. Right. White Bear Lake. Never heard of that lake. That's I, awesome. Never have, man. But I tell you what, there's some kids playing on a skin somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, All right, so our next top listening city is the capital city of Delaware and home of uh, the NASCAR Monster Mile. The racetrack's mascot is Miles the Monster. He's the winner's trophy featured uh, on the tickets and a 46 feet tall structure outside the racetrack one of the largest fiberglass structures in the country he features a full-size stock car in his hand and red eyes that light up at night and this is in dover delaware the dover, dover night races no doubt can, that's can, awesome man home of nascar's monster mile man yeah and, buddy and, and that Miles the Monster, can, I mean, can you imagine it up there 46 feet and he has a whole actual uh, NASCAR car. car in his hand, man. Yeah. I mean, that's... that's He's like a, the King Kong of NASCAR, Joe. There, there he is, man. And in Dover, Delaware. I don't know a lot about Delaware, man. I mean, it's just right. one of those places I thought this was so, so cool uh, to hear about this. So you guys up in Delaware, man, over there, thanks for listening. We really appreciate that. We appreciate it. You bet. Joe, next up, this city has one of the coolest downtowns. To look at it from the air, it is a small island of high-rises surrounded by beautiful Missouri trees and homes. The St. Louis Art Fair, rated tops in the nation, attracts more than 150,000 people to this sophisticated home of the St. Louis County government each September. Tucked between gleaming high-rises, local boutiques, historic homes, and sprawling Shaw Park are all kinds of unique restaurants, coffee shops, and bars in none other than Clayton, Missouri. Clayton, Missouri. Missouri, 
man, thank you Clayton for showing up, man. Yeah, and man, they were, they were cranking on the listens there to get that position. Something I know about a little bit about Missouri is the people in the South call it Missouri, and the people in the yes. North call it Missouri. Hmm. Yes, uh, sir. Yeah, I, I, I guess think, I th- actually, I think you actually mentioned that in one of the podcasts, uh, previous podcasts too, like one of the first few where we started doing shout outs. Uh, I do remember that comment and coming yeah. from you for sure. I'd, I'd like to get some people from each side to, to, to have that debate over which one's the correct <laughs> pronunciation, man. <laughs> well, I, I have a really good friend of mine who's a coach up in Marshall, Missouri. And uh, I imagine I could get him on the podcast. His name is Jason Markham, uh-huh. uh, and he coaches at Missouri Valley College. And uh, I'm sure he'd be willing to stand in it. And then I have another one in Cape Girardeau, uh, Mrs. in Missouri, and uh, his name is uh, Ken Redburn. And at the end of the day, these guys coach college softball, but I bet you they got a, a pretty good handle on if they say Missouri or Missouri. Yeah, man, and we'd have to have the Battle of the Missouri's there, man. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Battle of Mizzou. <laughs> there you go, man. All right. Up next, this city is a small seaside town in the Pacific Northwest that is known for its well watching. And the ferry there will take you across the Strait of Juan de Fuca to Victoria Island, British Columbia. And for those football fans out there, this top listening city is also the birthplace of Hall of Famer John Elway. At the time, Elway's father, Jack, was the head of uh, football coach at the local high school, Port Angels, Angeles, Washington. Hey, and funny that this one was uh, for me to read this time, Joe, because I have actually been there. I did take that same ferry from that, uh, from Port Angeles into uh, Victoria when I was uh, an exchange student in, in Oregon. Me oh, cool. too, bro. Me too. Yeah. Oh, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Loretta and I, we flew into Seattle for our anniversary. Yes. We, we took the ferries all the way to Port Angeles going across the country over there. Yeah. And then uh, we took it across over to Victoria Island and, and stayed there for a couple of days. What an incredible trip it was. Oh, man. yes. It's be- so beautiful out there. So beautiful. Joe, do you uh, have to pass customs when you come yes. back? No. You do. Well, no? on the way, uh, well, when you get there, I guess I maybe because I was from Venezuela, but I had to get some sort of a visa to get into the into Canada. <laughs> Dude, sure. they see your going. face and they so. see my face. It's like whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa! Yeah, like you, uh, wait a minute, you need to start. You can go by, sir, but this yeah. dude, he needs. Especially to when Luis grows a beard, man, he looks like well, he could be you know classified i think it was one of those kind of (laughs) i think it was one of those token type checks it wasn't really i mean it was like a question type check do you do you remember that Mm -hmm. so i mean they have so So mine mine was a. I actually had to get like a temporary quick one day visit visa or something like that but this is this is back in like 1997 okay typically you don't need one to go there but you need one to come back they yeah. they made a two year old get a visa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it, man. I know I look that young, but I'm not that young. Hey, but I think we're missing an important point here, man. We're talking John Elway. We're talking no Mr. Right. The best Denver Broncos, man. I mean, yeah. uh, arguably one of the greatest 
top five quarterbacks to ever play Unbelievable, man. I mean, what I saw that guy do and what he did uh, with Denver, he was Mr. Denver. He is Mr. Denver, man. And, you know, the other thing I want to talk about that, you know, Luis, is you did so good on the straight there, man. And I was like, oh, this guy has this, and he blew it on Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I know. You you know, Joe, uh, I, I hearken back to John Elway's uh, Super Bowl appearance and everything. And his owner was so stoked that they won a Super Bowl that he said, this one's for John. <laughs> That's what he said, dude. It was so awesome, man. That's cool, I mean, man. He wanted him to win a Super Bowl so bad. He hadn't won one. And I'll never forget, he got on the microphone. You know, he's got everybody staring him down. And he just breaks out, this one's for John, you know, <laughs> cool, dude, I'd have been like, drop the mic, bro. Yeah, that's Whoa. it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Oh, cool. uh, and coming up on our last one here, last but not least, and and I've got to say, I want to give a shout out to our brother Chav because he's not here tonight, bro. We're missing you that you're not here. His name was on this to say this one, uh, and it's nothing bad. Chav went through a procedure today, uh, took a lot out of him, so he'll be joining us again next week. Uh, he just didn't want to. He didn't want to be on camera falling asleep, man. So uh, everything's all good. Yeah. He's moving forward. He's working on his uh, his his balance is getting better all the time. He's using a cane more and more. So uh, we're real excited about that. So uh, our last listening city, last but not least, up next we're giving a big Elk Bro shout out as a request by one of our grinders out there from Louisiana's. Acadiana, Cajun and Creole country. I had to pause there for a second and look at it, man. Acadiana. <laughs> I got it, bud. Acadiana. It's Acadiana, right? And, yep. and But actually, that's a name that has just come in in recent times, y'all, and, and, and there's, some, there's some history behind that. But <laughs> they now call that region the Acadiana, Cajun and Creole country. His hometown of work hard and play hard, folks, is known for its Cajun cuisine, most notably crawfish, French Cajun and Creole culture, unique music where you can work your z- zydaco, z- zydaco. Oh, zydaco, 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 zydaco two-step, man, the zydaco it's two-step, zydaco two-step. Yes, Bodine and Cracklins and Boudin. Oh, I love Bodine. Boudin. Is it Boudin? Boudin. Yeah, yes, Boudin. Sir. Boudin and Look, Cracklins. brother, I grew up in Louisiana. It's Boudin and Cracklins. Uh, Louis, Boudin is I, so I mean, good. I love it. Y- Gilbert, start right from French Cajun right there, man, so we can get this done right. <laughs> it's known it? for boudin and cracklings and Evangeline made bread. Big Elk Bro shout out to Jared Politz in Lafayette, Louisiana. Lafayette. Jared, you got your shout out, bro, man. Thank you for inviting <laughs> buddy. Apologies for butchering all the names and pronunciations. Oh, man, but, I was yeah. like going I hope, man. I hope, Joe, you get a little bit of your own medicine there. Yeah, because you know what? There's some <laughs> Look, foreign Lafayette people that wrote cool, all those cool words, term. man. I mean, <laughs> I, I can I can I can handle deep south and I can yeah. handle northern New Look, Mexico. Lafayette is one of the coolest towns you'll ever go to in your life. Some of the best food and no doubt the best pizza in the country at none other than Pizza Village off Marsh Street and they have one of the best wild game meat places in the world at Prejean's. And uh, I've spent a lot of time, as you can tell, in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, That's working awesome, in the man. Old, 
It's a big oil field town and uh, the food there is amazing and the people are even better. I mean, you just, the people in Louisiana in general are just close knit uh, people and they love to feed you. And if you make a friend from uh, a person from the Cajun country, you're a friend for life. So that's that Southern hospitality everybody talks about, 100%, right? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, you bet. Real quick, Joe, I want to make a quick parenthesis to kind of bring something up that I thought it was very cool. All right. Uh, you talked about posting the story from Chad Hashin into the mm. website. And I actually Absolutely. went in there and read every bit of it. And talk about having fun reading an incredible story uh, in a walking the roller coaster of emotions that he went mm -hmm. through by reading the story. So I highly mm -hmm. recommend it. Take your time because it's a long story, mm -hmm. but the level of detail that he gives out is just amazing. I felt like I was watching a movie in high definition and I was just yeah. riding the emotions with him. So the name of the story, story is, cool, is Finding the Fire is the name of the right. story. And, yes. and uh, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> we, we've had comments to the story already, people that have related to that. And just the, the, what he has shared on that journey and his journey's not over. And that's the coolest part of wow. it is, is mm -hmm. he, you know, he talks about some of the things that, that he's overcoming and, and, you know, guys and girls out there listening, all of us are a story. None of us are exempt from tragic things that happen in our lives, things that we have to deal with, things that we have to go through, things that we have to watch friends and loved ones go through. We're none of us, no matter, I don't care what color, what, uh, how much money we make, you know, I don't care where we're from, n none of us are exempt from that. And I think that's the, the greatest common element that we have as, as, as a people and as a community. And his story and what he shared is just a, a shining example of what this young man, uh, and I'm allowed to call him that, <laughs> what he has, um, what he has gone through in his life, and and what he has um, understood in his life, and and what he has worked to overcome, and the fact that he has done that, and yes. so the story finding the fire is an incredible one. To, to really look at it and, and to gain perspective for all of us. So Yeah, I think most importantly, one of the things that you, you touched on, and Joe, is how he dealt right. with, with yep. the difficulties that life threw at him mm -hmm. and how, you know, he, he's what he has done to overcome that. Because, and, you know, and, and, I, and, and I want to also put out there is that <clears throat> it also shows that we don't all deal with adversity the same way. Same way we, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. we, we don't all. Some people, um, when they have tragic things in their lives, want to stay away from whatever uh, was involved in the tragedy. And some want to get, uh, you know, they want to go back to it to connect with people they did. However right. and whatever, all of this is a very personal journey that we have and a personal relationship Um with our own self, man, and finding yeah. that out. So uh, I think that's another thing, another lesson that I got from that as well is that a lot of people try to assume what it was going to take for him to get beyond, and and uh, he had to find his own way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just amazing how he put it all together. He's ups and downs and the level of details, and I highly recommend. It's a good read for sure. And thank mm -hmm. you, Chad, for sharing that yeah. with all of us for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Well, it took, it took our site show. to another level, man. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. Sir. You yep. betcha. So, well, guys, you know, next up's our, 
our today's topic, Joe. Um, and I think we've uh, all learned a whole lot. Some people might think we get it right all the time, but I can guarantee you it's from what we've done wrong to get it right. Isn't that, isn't that kind of true, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think this is an important episode. And the importance of this episode is for all of you guys, whether you're first year, fifth year, sixth year, uh, 10th, 15th year, to understand yeah. that life is a learning process and we learn from mistakes. The, the reason that we do this show, the reason that we do this podcast is to help some of you guys not have to go through some of the things that we've already gone through, man. We're trying to give you that head up. We're trying to flatten that learning curve and give you that head start. But, you know, a lot of times you guys are seeing the finished product here. And I mean, <laughs> you, you, yeah. you, we can I make mean, it look pretty. <laughs> we, we went for, we're on state land, um, hunting and, uh, uh, public property and we went four out of five last year man and yeah. uh and I, I don't say four out of six because our brother chav was severely handicapped with some things and no uh, doubt and and five we, for five all, on all at on attempts yeah you know, we, we shot opportunity for sure yeah. oh man we almost we 100%. almost we were pretty close to going 100 percent. and and yeah. you know people look at i actually had somebody that once um sent me a uh an ig and uh and said that, man, um, these what these guys are talking about is not real. It doesn't happen like this. And I remember that. I remember that. And, I'm like, oh, bro. Oh, what? man. I, you know, well, I, you know, I take that as a compliment. You know, yeah. I, I've <laughs> yeah. never been one to get upset or angry. I mean, yeah. when people tell me I'm not able to do something, it just lights my fire, man. So uh, that was a huge compliment for somebody to think that we, we actually made it look easy, you know, and it's not. It's not one of the most challenging strips we had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got a buddy of mine told me a long time ago, Joe, if they ain't talking bad about you, you ain't doing it right. So yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I believe that, <clears throat> you know, uh, they're always going to be haters out there. We love y'all. Keep hating. Uh, so then what that means, uh, Gilbert, is that uh, you're doing really, really good then. Very good. Right? <laughs> I never have to worry about that because I, I hear it all the time, man. You, so, you know, uh, but but I'm I'm really proud to say, man, that in, in this year and three months, I think that's the only thing that I've ever received. I mean, yeah. I, I think one time I, I posted uh, a, a photograph of an elk. Um, with related to some of our hunting stuff. And the photographer got back to me and said, please take that down because I don't want my animals related to hunting. And, and, and you know what I did? I, I apologized and, and I said, I definitely respect that person. That's their artwork and what they do. Mm -hmm. And it really, it, and it shocked him the way my attitude was about it um, and honoring his wishes. And, and I think that's what we should do a lot of in this world. And it actually opened up a conversation and a positive mm -hmm. conversation. So, oh, I, you know, sure. like you always say, Gilbert, at the end of the day, we're all ambassadors, mm -hmm. man, in this life. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I only know of those two times that, that one guy there, we've had so, so much positive feedback 
that uh, I, I yeah. feel really blessed that the type of people we have out there in this community following man, us should. and the things that they do, man. So when I when we talk about mishaps, you you want to go first, Gilbert? You want me to go first, man? Huh? That's totally up to you, brother. You 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 the the show moderator. You run it. <laughs> well, as, as old as I am, I probably have in these years. I probably have a few more. And I mean, I, I tell you what, I got some stories outside of elk hunting, man, that yeah. just blow your mind. I mean, chasing antelope with the bow and <laughs> some of them that yeah. me and Chav have done. But uh, I, I tell you, when it comes to elk hunting, one of the most important lessons that that I ever learn was on uh, it's one of our earliest elk hunts um and when we took a look at the area we did the scouting like everybody does and we looked on the map and we saw where everybody drives in and so we're we're driving a vehicle of ours that we dubbed blackie you'll hear chav talk about blackie all the time it was a nissan uh king cab pickup and uh at that time nissan's you know, they're a smaller vehicle. They're a mid-sized vehicle, right? Yeah. And we picked up Blackie as our hunting vehicle for $2,000. Cost Chav 1000 cost me 1000 to have a truck to hunt in, man. And we were so stoked because Blackie could take a beating, man. And so right. <laughs> we decided to go into some of the roughest country, and we were going to go in and do what other people, we were going to go all the way to the back, man. We were going to take that, go all the way through, everybody goes in, get past all the entry area, you know, what most people would term kind of like a trailhead, the entryway into this hunting area. And mm -hmm. we, our plan was to go 10, 12, 15 miles back, and we were going to hunt in high cotton in that backcountry and get away from everybody. Well, <laughs> we're going in it is one of the wettest septembers on record right <laughs> and as we're going in i'm rubbernecking i'm looking at god dang chav look at the acorns on the trees and stuff and i'm going like this and what i didn't notice and i don't know if you guys in texas get the size of these red ant hills that can take place here in new mexico oh, but wow. there was a red <laughs> ant hill off to the side evidently next to a spring that got soaked from all of this. And that anthill had to be, I don't know, probably good six foot in diameter. And I'm not paying attention and my hand goes off and I drive off into this just a little off of the trail because it's not really a road that we drive on up there. And my tires hit that anthill and ho-woom. Now, we are one mile into getting to where we want to go one mm -hmm. mile man is how far we made it and we are buried to the axles so we get out and we don't have a winch man blackie cost us two thousand bucks you think we got in right. here we're, we're eating bologna and peanut butter right and we're, we're hunting yeah. in tennis shoes and we we are about as low income hunters you can get right so mm -hmm. we we take a look at that and we look there and i chav looked at me and i looked at him and it was uh we ain't going nowhere <laughs> so we right. decided to make lemon out of lemonades and we said camping here so we actually put up a little tent right off the side we said well we'll just camp here and hunt from here until somebody drives through here to pull us out right yep nobody showed up for three days 
<laughs> nobody came by and if they came by when we were hunting they just backed up and went the other way so nobody that we saw came for three days but we wow. started hunting from there and had the most epic hunt of our life gilbert it was only a mile from where you killed your bull oh, i wow. killed my bull and that's yeah. our first time that we discovered that everybody was driving by the elk, man. Yeah. That uh, uh, it, it, it taught us a huge, huge lesson because we had that mentality that mm -hmm. we weren't going to be successful until we, we went all the way to the back. <laughs> so, yeah. this, so somebody shows up three days later and they're like, you want us to pull us out? Yeah, please, because we got to pull up so we can just set up camp right here, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and we stayed there, and, and that was one of our first successful hunts that we had in that area there. And yeah, very cool. It, it, was, it was so awesome, man. But, I mean, if you could have seen the – I mean, you're all excited to get in all the way back there. Yeah. You've got all your gear and all the stuff and packed in this, this beat-up old pickup. And, and that taught us a huge lesson that day, man. It was huge. And it's funny you say that, Joe, because I, I, I've I felt lately – I mean, I, I haven't been – hardcore hunting as i call it um uh, for more than three years uh um i used to do a lot back home but it wasn't anything like what i'm doing now but but the thing is that i've noticed that there seems to be a tendency when things completely go wrong in a hunt mm -hmm. those seem to be the most successful hunts things have a way of turning around and and just I mean, Gilbert, going back to the first deer I killed with my bow at your ranch, you know, that morning was crazy. You well, know, everything that could go wrong that morning went wrong. Murphy's forgot, Law. You know, yep. several things. And all. the cows came in and I had to get out and spook them out. And I'm like, oh, crap, this, this whole day is going to go to crap. And sure enough, the one deer that we were looking for was the one that showed up that one day. And that's, yeah. it was an epic hunt, you know. So mm -hmm. from a complete disaster to an epic hunt, all there is is just the willingness of continuing oh, to grind to what, see the, what, what happens. One of the most it. successful hunts me and Gilbert had, the first, one of the first times we got to hunt together, Gilbert talks about when we see these elk and we, we get into them on the dark, uh, and, and he's like, Oh, Joe, I think I see some elk there. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we both, we both killed an elk on, on that hunt. And, but had, I had the worst luck, dude. I'm, I am driving the four wheeler through an area and Apollo, um, what most people would call like kind of a small log, a stick about, about yay big. And it was about <laughs> this big around blunt on each end I'm driving. And somehow, some way the front tire on the, on the four wheeler hit that log, flipped it over the front. And I kid you not, that thing blunted me right in the <laughs> mouth. It did. Knocked wow. me backwards into Gilbert, dude, and I'm yeah. bleeding and stuff like that. I'm like, what the heck? Gilbert, you <laughs> hit me, man. <laughs> I, I thought somebody was in the woods and slapped him in the face with a log. I'm like, man, somebody doesn't want us hunting here, Joe. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe that, man. And that, yeah. that same hunt, that same hunt, 
you talk about bad luck. I ended up with a pop tire on the on the four wheeler yeah. at night when we're trying to go uh, uh, recover an animal. I puncture a tire. I have to because it's on the weekend. I leave camp. We're talking about we're we're. I drive out into Angel Fire, New Mexico, and had to drive from Angel Fire all the way to Pueblo, Colorado to get a tire for that four-wheeler because there was none anywhere in the area to there. Driving back, uh, I park at a at a place to check for some tires on there, and I, I get, they don't have what I need, and I go to back out. Unbeknownst to me, somebody's parked a motorcycle behind my truck, and I back over this dude's motorcycle, oh, right? That <laughs> and, sucks. And like, so now yeah. I'm having to deal with insurance, and this guy's like, you done trashed oh. my, my truck, and, and things almost went a little western there because I apologized a few times that I take care of it, and the fellas kept saying some other things I might have to do, and, and it, things were starting to get a little bit riled up because I'd done gone as far yeah. as I was going to go, right? And so sure, sure. now we're, we're finally done with that, and we're driving back. We're heading to camp, and we're doing pretty good. And, and I, I'm, I'm probably only five miles from being able to take the turn off to go in there, and woo! Oh my god! I, I, I get pulled over for speed, no man. One hundred percent true. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. it's like I, I look at Chab and I go, "Can it be any worse?" He's like, "Joe, shut up, <laughs> shut up, man." Yeah. So, Just because he could. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, very similar to all of that is is what happened last year. I mean, we have a series of unfortunate events. Uh, yeah, one yeah, right absolutely. after the other that we were just like, what the heck is going on? You know, uh, it's almost like force majeure acting yeah. against <laughs> the hunt. <laughs> it really was. You, you know, in one of those scenarios that has, I, I would say, haunted me, uh, one of the biggest mule deer ever seen in my life. I was hunting with the late Carl Gamage in New Mexico. We were elk hunting and uh, he, he happened to, I happened to draw a, elk ta- uh, deer tag that year and uh he told me he said look man he said there's some big deer on this ranch and there ain't a lot of them but if we see one uh i'd really like the meat and uh won't charge you a thing if you, and you can keep the horns and i was like man that's a deal you know uh we're always looking for a deal so um i said that's a deal so we get done that morning on our elk hunt and everything and we're coming down but we were way up top and we were coming down and sure enough, about six mule deer stood up below us. And when I say below us, they were way down below us, probably 65 or 70 yards, 80 yards. And we saw one stand up, and he had a really nice rack. And uh, Carl said, man, he's like 71 yards. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So we just decided we're going to ease on down there. They're not really spooked. They're looking in our direction, but they're not really spooked. <clears throat> so this is a pretty good one. It's probably a 160-inch mule deer. I mean, he's really good good buck so and he's kind of facing me so I don't really like that shot but we get down there and I we close the gap to 40 yards I want to say 40 yards he 37 I think or 39 something like that real close to 40 so he says uh 40 yards right or 39 yards 39 40 yards his his range finder's going back and forth so I'm just standing there looking at the deer and the deer just turns broadside all of a sudden just turns broadside. And I mean, he's giving me, Oh, come on right here, big boy. So I draw back and center my 40 yard pin right in the 
right in the wheelhouse. Poof! I let it go. And <clears throat> the deer didn't really duck my arrow, but the arrow slapped him across the top of the back. To Carl's chagrin, he thought I just flat missed. And to that point, as an archer, I had never missed an animal. I mean, ever, like in my life, missed an animal uh, with that bow. Never have. And, and that bow is a Bowtech tribute that I've killed a lot of animals with. I still have is my backup bow today. And anyway, I was like, oh my gosh, how did I miss that, that deer? Did he drop or, and Crow's like, no, he just shot over him. He pilgrim, <laughs> you know, he was, I'm like, so the, the arrow rested in a really good aspen tree so we could go recover it. Right. So we go down there and recover it and there's snow up on the side of that mountain. So when we get up there on the side, I, I turned to my right after the deer had took off to the right. I, when we start down, three bigger bucks stand up. Okay. I mean, gigantic deer and they run off and Carl's like, I knew there was going to be some more of them right here. You know? So I, I get over there to where the arrow is and I look on the arrow and there's meat and hair on the arrow. And I'm like, I hit that daggum. Oh, you did not. I watched it go right over his back. I said, <laughs> no, I'm, there's, there's hair on this arrow. And he grabbed it and he looked at it what you sniffing on it and everything, you know, like Yukon Cornelius fix and start licking it. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, man, Oh, I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, you dang sure didn't miss him. <laughs> he said, there's hair, there's hair on his broad head. And, uh, so we went to tracking him and I just slapped him across the top of the back in the meat, you know, and, and there was a little bit of blood and we followed it as far as we could and it just ran out. Right. So I never shot, and look, look, this was straight down below us. I'd never taken a shot straight down below me like that. Um, so we got back to camp, and I was smart enough uh, and to think about it. I went and got up on the hill that was in front of camp and shot straight down. I put a target down here at 40 yards. Mm -hmm. And, Joe, I could use my 20-yard pin and shoot mm -hmm. 40 yards, right? It was easy. And, and I'm like, that's why. When I shoot a 40-yard pin at that – 40 yards down, it would go, it would sail right over the top of it. Right. I'm like, hmm. Because so, it, it, was, you know, it wasn't rising there. and then falling. It was, just, it went up and just stayed there, right? Exactly. Yeah. So when so, I use my 20 yard pen, it thump it every time. Right. Wow. And, and, and Beto, I don't know if you recall me calling you and, and sharing a very similar experience uh, hunting public land, whitetail, yes. right? I mean, I shot over the same buck twice from a tree stand, a tall, very high tree stand. Right. Uh, and, uh, and uh, there were two things that you brought up. You, you brought, you know, you told me that story, but you all, you also taught me about bending at the waist, um, bending at the waist, at the waist yeah. you know, because right. if you don't, you change your anchoring point totally and then good. obviously it lets you shoot higher. So those two were big lessons for me. Obviously I learned the hard way, but the, the, the other way, cause you know, I want to geek it out. I want to understand the physics behind it. Right. When stuff yeah. like that happens. So the, the best explanation I found was like, if you're on a tree stand and the same thing applies to your cases, if, if you're in a tree stand, the best way to do it, if, if the land is completely flat and your target is in front of you and you're up high in the tree, the best way to measure the actual distance is not from where you are to where the animal is, which is obviously going to be a larger, longer trajectory, but 
really the pin that you have to use for us pin shooters, it will be from the base of the tree of where you're at to where the animal is on the ground at the same level. That's the actual distance that you should use as a range for you to pick your pin to shoot. Well, it's pretty and hard to run down to the bottom of the tree when the it is, is there. Huh? Yeah, it <laughs> is. But, but, uh, and I agree 100%. And, and that was one of the things that I was asking myself, well, how do, how do I do that at time? Uh, it, different settings, obviously. But if you're hunting on a tree stand, what you do is you range trees in front of you from the tree stand and then kind of look down where that base of that tree is and then make your mental map but yeah, ranging yeah. not at the base of the trees from where you're at but straight at the trees in front of you yeah and today's rangefinders take in that angle too yeah you know? they do uh-huh. uh, so it's a whole lot it's a whole lot better if you have a rangefinder that does that, that does at the it. time I, at the time i did not and carl had a pair of Leicas that i'm sure wasn't doing that either but what it did was it helped me understand what i needed to do for for further uh, further times that I had to shoot downhill, hence right. this year, right? We got a bull coming straight up the hill at us. It's a pretty steep angle that I got to shoot down at. Chav's ticking away at the range finder. We get him ranged at 38 yards, 39 yards. He's ticking away at it, right? And uh, he tells me, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not ever – I'm going to use my 20 gap, my 20 and my 30 yard pin, and I'm going to send it because I know he's downhill. You know, I know exactly how this scenario is right. going to go. It's played out for me before. Right? So you shot him I'm for 30 actually, right? I did shot him yep. for 30 right. and it's center punched him, you right. know? Uh, so I, if I'd have shot my 40 yard pin at him, I'd have shot him high. way high. Right. And uh, I, so, again, that taught me something. Like I said, guys, this is something that mishaps. And what it taught me was to know, to practice what, what went wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Practice shooting downhill. Understand what my pins are going to do when I'm at a steep angle, right? Um, and that is a huge, a huge thing for me because I probably wouldn't have killed that bull this year if I'd have, if I'd have shot him. That's very him. true. That's a good yeah. point. Absolutely, man. And, Big and, and you actually, I think you've done that twice because I think you shot down at a cow elk uh, right. and killed a cow elk the, the same way after that same experience. So That's way down. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, you've gained some confidence yeah. in, in doing that, man. And, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, I think one of the lessons you got out of that was it wasn't really – about the equipment wasn't about the pins that's where the hunter comes in man that's where that knowledge base comes in so um a a story that relates to to me on that is um well you know you've heard when guys talk about the the number of elk that i've shot they like they're keeping track of that like guys that i've hunted with right and uh and it, it, it almost got to at a point to be kind of like this pressure thing. Like I never even cared or thought about it. And their guy's like, yeah, you've done that for so many days. Well, one year we're out there and it's, it's uh, Bob Hederman. You remember Bob Hederman and me and Chav. And, uh, yeah, uh, he's, the, he's the voice on our, on our uh, uh, intro. Yeah, and we were hunting an area. Um, and uh, uh, what we would do is we would get on the four-wheeler. We'd put three people on the four-wheeler. And that was during the time when they had those bow holders on the front of, yeah. a, of a four-wheeler. You could just set your bow inside there and, and clamp it in, and you could go, and, and, uh, and they would strap theirs on or carry them with them. And, and 
it was real muddy sloppy that year. And I learned a huge lesson. Uh, and, and in that we went and we went to this area. It's, you know, it's, it's before, you know, I get out real early. So it's before it's daylight. We hop off the four wheeler. I unclamp my bow and, uh, I always, and here, here's something I tell everybody all the time. I always break my bow over, um, before I even step into the woods. And I do that mm -hmm. because sometimes you get just a little wax stick or just a little that nighttime settling on your string and stuff. And you get maybe a little cracking sound inside there. But once you do it the first time, everything's good to go, right? So mm -hmm. I always break it over to get out of that, any of that morning crackling out of it. Well, I went to go pull back and, and break my bow over and it exploded in my hands. I mean, cut my arm with a cable, everything. And what had happened is in driving with that and my bow out here, a piece of mud had come up and got inside the groove of my cam. And during the trip, it got in that groove and it kind of dried right there. So when I went to go pull back, my cable hit that dirt in the cam and rolled. Derailed derailed right off of it mm -hmm. and blew up right and uh so lesson number one was my bow always travels inside some kind of case when we're going someplace right i don't care Absolutely. what we're in it's always mm -hmm. in a case and then here's where the big lesson came because you know i'm standing there i've got a little blood on me and they're looking at me with their eyes real big and and they go what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I guess I'm taking <laughs> you boys hunting, man. So we hunted yeah. that morning. We got back to camp and I told him, I said, I'm, I'm heading down off the mountain. I'm headed home, man. And, uh, I'm gonna go see if I can get my backup bow and stuff like that. So I headed back to the house and I told Loretta what happened. And, and I said, you know, I, I guess I'm going to use my backup bow and, and, uh, and, I, I hadn't shot that bow and I'd have to reset it up and everything. And I said, I got to do all this stuff to get it set up. And I said, I looked at her and, and I said, well, I, I guess this is the year I don't get an, an elk this year. I told her, you know, and that wife of mine, I mean, you guys mm -hmm. talk about my mental attitude. I'm going to tell you why I have that mental attitude because here I am feeling sorry for myself. My bow's blown up. I'm going to have to use a backup. I haven't shot the backup. And so I must be defeated. And my wife yeah. looked at me and she said, hmm, I think it's not about the bow. I think it's about the man behind it. Look at that, man. Just, uh, yeah. And, oh, man. I mean, it was like, yeah, face like a crappy mop like Joe. a crappy mop man she handled it like and so i went out there i i got it set up i went out shot it did some shooting i'm instinctive you know so uh it's my bow that i've shot before i just went out there did that put it in the case got in the truck headed back i was back at the mountain that night the next morning next morning uh, i'm calling in a bull and chab's with me so i want chab to have the first opportunity seems like i kill more elk trying to get a shot for chab than when i'm chab. trying to get a shot yeah. for me right so yeah. we actually get on this bull down low that starts heading up one of those hills that never stops right mm -hmm. and so um you might understand where it's at. It's just over there, like heading from the bottom where the cabin is up to the top of Windy Gap over there inside. Ooh, and yes. so we're going straight up this thing, right? 
we 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 dog this this these elk heading up that hill and right when we top out there's a little spring area with some little small aspens and stuff in there mm-hmm. and it's thick 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 and i hear them just over there so i i get chap i said chap set up man they're just they're just ahead of us they're not too far over here probably 80 yards man thick thick so i get chav set up and i'm back behind him and i start yeah yeah and man all of a sudden i see some horns coming through right this bull's coming right at chav and i'm like oh it's gonna happen i i got front row seat and right before (laughs) he starts to get there he turns and he starts coming over towards me right and he starts walking through in front of me at 12 yards. Well, oh, wow. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, y'all, but th- there is something <laughs> that just comes over me <laughs> <laughs> when I get in a situation like that. And and yes, next thing I know, man, that bull's running off. He's double lunged. And, and then the very next, yeah, man, the, the very next day, the very next day after feeling like, there was no way this was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, I learned a lesson about my bow going on there. I learned a lesson about myself. I learned a huge lesson from my wife that what we do is nothing about our equipment. It is about the person behind the equipment. So yeah. that's a huge lesson for everybody out there. No, that's a great Bitch. story. Very and uh, so proud of Retta for, you know, Oh, she don't cut Slapping me no slack, Slapping you at man. the right moment at the right time. That, that woman don't cut you me no slack, right, man. Dude. No, mine neither. She's right all the time, and it, yeah. piss, it pisses me off, Joe. Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable, man. You know, well, I'm glad God gave her to me because I'd be way worse off without her, I promise you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you ain't yep. kidding. Uh, we're, and, we're, she, and she did it. She she gave you that feedback with the same finesse and same style that Chav would too. Mm-hmm. Oh, complete absolutely. calmness and total wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, here you go. Chew on this. Well, that's, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> it. And, and I don't want to get off this, dive off too deep. It's just going to be real quick. Is I, I can remember one time my daughter's doing something wrong, and I went up to the room up there, and, 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 I, and I let them have it, man. Blah, 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 blah. And I went downstairs. She said, what did you do? I said, I told them how it's going to be, and that's how it's going to be because that's how I say it's going to be. And she just goes, hmm. <laughs> I bet that worked real good. <laughs> I mean, I, I went from feeling like the man to feeling like the mouse, just like that. Dude, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they have a way of doing that stuff, man. I know, Luis, that you you wanted to talk about a story. Um, yeah. So, tell tell us about one of your mishaps. Yeah, I want everybody to understand that, you know, these these are hard things for me to talk about because these learnings come at a great cost and, and they, they wound you deeply. But that wound is what imprints that learning in your memory forever. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, it's, it's what prevents you or at least help you helps helps you prevent uh, those things from happening again. But um, yeah, I will never forget this story. And, and, and Joe, I was hunting with you. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the very first year I went out there to hunt with you guys. And um, look, we've had, we've seen bulls. Um, there, you know, had been opportunities and stuff like that. And, but I, I hadn't had the first opportunity just yet. So um, 
here we go walking along the road and uh, I, I remember that you were calling it was very early in the morning first thing in the morning and Joe starts calling just kind of trying to locate animals and and you know some throwing some cow calls and stuff like that and man all of a sudden um, we realize we have a bull walking towards us to our left coming from behind probably what 40 yards 30 yards away yeah, i thought it was about and 35 yeah 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 so he's staring right at us and we're like frozen we're like what the hell what do we do so obviously you know i'm a complete rookie i'm not sure what to do i just i just get my bow and, and knock an arrow but uh he's kind of still looking at us and then he kind of s- spooks it's not like he completely spooks he's just like oh i don't know i'm not sure what the heck that is so he kind of starts walking away and back and I, from yeah. us yeah and then joe tries to stop him again and then there is a set of uh bushes between us and the elk now um because we're on the road set of bushes and then the elk is on a clearing on the other so side I, I, so, I, i'm just gonna i want everybody to understand this is not a road like most people quantify a road right, right. It's, a trail. <laughs> it's a trail yeah yeah it's okay. a trail it's uh-huh. a trail mm-hmm. um so uh no yeah we're in the middle of um, the public land the public land so uh-huh. yeah um so anyway uh at this point um joe obviously analyzing the situation and just trying to kind of give me an opportunity he kind of janks me back by the backpack and puts me in a window through a little window through the bushes as the elk was kind of walking by he stops me and then he goes i'm going to stop him right on the window and then take the opportunity you know and so everything happens just as he told me it was going to happen but then at that point i'm i'm a full draw and I didn't even think to to range the animal. I'm a new hunter. I need that verification of that distance to to feel comfortable about the shot. So I'm asking Joe, you know, what's what's the distance? What's the distance? And and so Joe gives me a range, and then you know, obviously he's looking also through that kind of tunnel vision through those bushes, which could also be deceiving, right? So um, long short, um, I take a shot. And and it looked like a good shot to me, but obviously wasn't because um, I ended up tr- tracking that animal um, for about what do you say, Joe? Two and a half miles. Oh, uh, easy, up man. And down, up and down the mountain at so, twelve hours. And and I I want people to understand that when if most people would have seen this shot. Anybody that would have seen this shot would have been raising their fist or, or, or you know, high-fiving because, I mean, it was right on the crease, man, where most people go to shoot. And the only thing was is that that animal was quartering away on there. And I, man, so this is the first time I've ever seen a nocturnal knock. I get to see this laser light go and bury itself inside this animal. And where I see it go in, I think it's a dead animal, right? I mean, uh, it looked like a perfect shot. 
um, even to me at that time, because with the bushes, you could not tell that that animal was quartering. And the only reason that I know that the animal was quartering is because I know exactly what happened after we, because of the sign after we tracked it. Because we did what we were supposed to. We sat back. The bull ran off. I bugled. I tried to stop it. And the bull actually did end up laying down not too far um, from where we were. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what, y'all, when we got up to start tracking this, it was like somebody took gallon buckets of blood and just, whoom, whoom. I mean, just blood, an incredible blood trail. It was so incredible that as these guys were tracking, I pulled out my phone to video them because I knew they were going to walk took, up on You took my book. phone to video. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and because and, and I knew that they were going to walk up on this bull. Well, after finding about 200 yards away, finding a place where that bull had laid down and had rubbed itself, what had happened is he did hit this animal in the pocket. But this is what I'm talking about by, by an animal quartering away. Luis had punched one lung and had come out mm -hmm. the front shoulder of the of the other side there missing the other lung and the problem with that is an elk on one lung can go a long long way and this animal literally kept laying down and rubbing onto that I mean, incredible what the animal did. I mean, you got to yeah. give this animal something, man, because yes. the will to survive and what it did and, and trying to plug up that wound, and it did plug up that wound because we ended up tracking pin drops at points. I mean, yeah. pin drops. And to Luis's credit, man, Luis, we started, that's at daylight. I mean, at daylight. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he tracked that thing till dark that night. Yes, yeah, sir, until we and couldn't see at one o'clock, I brought burritos to everybody. I made them in camp and brought burritos to everyone. That was one o'clock. He shot that bull probably somewhere around six thirty-seven, huh, yeah. Joe? Yeah, I mean, yeah. first I mean, light. I, we're, yeah, first light there. I mean, so we're six hours light. into it, and we we went another six hours. I mean, it was six o'clock at night before we got done. And you know, and I'm gonna let him take over how he felt about this in a second, but I but I know how he is. And he's not going to cut himself any slack. This was a very tough time. This was an incredible learning time for Luis. And, um, it, it and really I want to lessen, I want to lessen that blow a little bit. Cause I really feel like now that I, I go back and think about that, Joe, I really feel like, you know, y'all might've felt like you pushed the bull to get him up, but there are so many coyotes in that country that I feel like coyotes got him up and they smelled that blood or it could even have been a black bear got him up. And when they, when he did get up, he lit out of that country in a very hasteful way. Right. Like well, they can run a mile in, you know, less than, you know, a couple of minutes. Uh, and that's a long way in that country. For well, us I have, to be able I, to I've guided for a long time and we went out, and he went out the next day. We looked for birds. We tried yeah. We tried everything, gridding, everything we could to find that animal. We never yeah. picked up any more blood on that. We never found any sign. I mean, if it was a fatal shot and he had bedded down, we would have had something on it. You know, yeah. but I will tell you this, in uh, hunting with Carl Gamage, one year we had a hunter that killed an elk that 
that elk only had, when we cleaned and gutted that elk, that elk only had one lung. The other lung had been totally collapsed from a wow. shot inside there. Yeah. And I mean, that's how strong these, now this animal was already starting to, at the time, even though he had healed up, he was starting to poison inside. Mm. He would eventually died from that wound, but we're talking six weeks. We're talking, you know, uh, wow. eight weeks, man. It, it's unbelievable. So, uh, incredible. So I, I'm going to let you have it back, but yeah. 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 So again, uh, that's kind of the, very first time that I went through the big roller coaster of emotions of, you know, having a great shot, being super excited, can't wait to start tracking the animal to, oh my God, here's the blood trail here, you know, we're going to find it, this animal, it's bedded here. And then, and then we lost track. And then it was like, oh my God, but I mean, how come, how come is that, that animal still alive? I mean, it's just with all that blood, you know, and then, and then you find blood trail again, and then you get excited again, and then it's like you keep going and you keep going. So imagine, imagine this roller coaster of emotions going on right. for twelve hours. There was a point in time where I told you guys, you guys keep on hunting. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna keep keep looking and keep tracking and keep tracking. And man, I'm not gonna lie, you know, I I threw out several tears along the way, uh, frustration yeah. and and at so many levels, but you know. I making lemonade out of lemons. Um, the biggest lesson, the biggest learn lesson for me. And look, this I'm I'm not a perfect hunter. I will never be, and I still make a lot of the mistakes that I don't want to make. But it's just not taking the shot that you're not a hundred percent sure of. Look, and I still make that mistake. But you, you have to you have to really try to calm yourself down and analyze the entire situation. For me, that was a lack of analysis, lack of understanding of the full picture. I did not understand the full geometry of that animal, the distance, um, you know, quartering away, the position, all the factors that affected my shot. I did not take all that in prior to releasing my arrow. I, I and, tell you what, Luis, uh, um, buddy, uh, and, and, and we've had a lot of conversations, and we had a lot of conversations then about this. But I tell you what, anybody, you, me, Gilbert, anybody in that position, 10 times out of 10 are taking that shot. And yeah, crap. Yeah. And, and, and one thing I, I, that I want people out there to, to hear is, is that sometimes you can do everything right and things go south. Sometimes yeah. you can do everything right. Uh, as, and I've always said, as long as you eat, crap happens, man. And um, some things are just are not in our control. And, um, and some and, things are just learning opportunities that good Lord puts man. in our path. So and, we, you know, uh, my grandpa used to say, what don't kill you make you stronger. And at the end of the day, he's so much stronger of a hunter having to go through that. And, and you know, and that's why he's with us, man. I mean, right. that's our very first hunt together. And I knew what kind of man this was. And yeah. all you guys, I, I think all of our listeners know what kind of man you are and, and what that meant mm -hmm. to you. And uh, I mean, uh, it's not easy. It, it's definitely not easy. And we've all been and, there. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's what makes you that's what breaks you and and again 
like I tell people, there are no excuses in hunting like that, man. There, there's no, there's no um, mulligans. There's no give me. There's no everybody gets a trophy. Uh, it's it's us and us alone. We have to deal with um, the ups. We have to deal with the downs, and yeah. um, and and it's not always pretty. Life is not always pretty. Yeah. And uh, it's the hard it, that makes it great. That's exactly right. So. You know, I, and, I, and know. I think I think Joe, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, I think I think I was going to say that. Uh, you know, again, it, it's a journey, right? Right. I mean, it absolutely is. I've, it's not the first time I've made the similar mistakes. You know, and and man, do I get upset at myself when I when I make them again? Because sometimes you get caught up in the heat of the moment. You kind of think that you have the situation evaluated enough. Right. And then when you sit back and start to think about it, and it's like, man, this was a flag for me not to shoot. This was a flag for me not to shoot. This was a flag for me not to shoot. And I still shot yeah. and I shouldn't have, you know? Right. And so those are the things that I, you know, that are the hardest for me to work with. And also, you know, as, as you get, I don't know if this happened to you guys. I'm sure it has, but you get into like bad rashes of opportunities and, and results that kind of play with your confidence. Well, and, and, and I, I we've think, been bow hunting a lot longer than you have, brother. Yeah. I've been bow hunting since I was 14 years old. So we have a lot more of that crap under our mean. belt that we well, learn how to shake. I mean, you, you've been bow hunting, what, five years uh, total, you know, years. really hard. Yeah, and, so, I, I, and I think somebody can beat themselves up so much that they create yeah. scars, man. And so yeah. you cre start creating this, uh, you put this this monkey on your back, man. And, right. and, it's and unrealistic. That's, you're right. And, you know, that was one thing that was great about this year. That was what um, made you uh, you you took a lot of weight off your your back. You did so many right things, and that animal was more than a harvest. That animal was a statement oh, of an reckless. incredible man, an incredible hunter on a journey Thank that you, had bro. to overcome it. And I'll tell a lot of people out there that your negative, if you accept negative mindset that you're going to make mistakes, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you I mean, good point. You have to work. You have to believe, you have to trust, and you have to understand that things don't always go our way, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've been there, man. I, boy, my first starting out bow hunting career, I didn't know anything, man. I was just a kid teaching myself. My grandpa didn't bow hunt, but he rifle hunted. But I fell in love with it. My cousin and I flung it, flinging arrows that, you know, we didn't have stuff that matched. I mean, we had different size arrows. You know, we had a range finder. I mean, you know, old got a little wind that way. Uh, I mean, it was just one of those things until I started refining absolutely, absolutely what I did. Those experiences are what led me to where I am today, you know. And, and look, when I when I first started elk hunting, it wasn't easy. First of all, I was way too big to be yonder up, running up and down those mountains. And could I shoot? Absolutely, right? Uh, but I was hunting a elk, not any elk. Um, and hunting with Joe, that just helped me tremendously because he had those kinds of ex – that experience. To, I had the confidence, no doubt, to close the deal, right? But it was that confidence that – because of all the mistakes I'd made before, brother, you know, uh, to and, and you're where you're at today because of those mistakes. And yeah. Joe, I, I don't know if you recall it, but I remember you giving me advice uh, once. Um, I think I think I missed 
I completely missed the mule deer and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hang up the bow and I'm just going to call it good. <laughs> and, and, get off the horse. And that's so. it. I just, you know, that's, that's, uh, and I, you know, I don't know if you recall, you, do you recall what you told me about, you know, just not, not continuing to hunt, you know? Yeah. No, I'm not sure. I don't, man. Uh, it, it was, it was along the lines, I don't remember the exact words, but it was along the lines that, uh, of, you know, that's the last thing you want to do is, uh, going to say that you're going to stop it because you've had a few mishaps. Right. Uh, the only way that you can make those wrongs right is by actually picking your bow back up and then getting after it and then correcting the, the, the wrongs, uh, with mm-hmm. rights. And, and so, you know, eventually that continuing, that continuous grind, I felt helped me get out of that um, mental block or that insecurity as a hunter that eventually just continued to get better and better. And it's easy, so easy to fall back into that. And the reason why I'm being so open about this is because I'm sure there are hunters out there that feel the same way, you know, that it's like, man, what the heck, you know, can't get things to go right for me. I, I can't get a good shot. I can't, you know, recover my animal, you know, so many things. You know, and, and, and what happens with that though, is be, because, and, and I, and I want to be honest with this sometimes is, is, really when you do something like that is what is it truly that you're upset about is it is it because you did not meet your your qualification what you think is it because uh you didn't feel like you lived up to somebody else's expectations there's all of these things and we just talked about this not too long ago when we talk about mental endurance and people coming across things and you have two choices in life when you come across difficult things you can withdraw from it you know Mm. uh you can just shut down basically and say that's it right um but those people that shut down are never going to move forward. And I think that is the beauty of hunting. I think that's the beauty of the outdoors is that uh, a person that truly is stuck out in the outdoors that shuts down is going to die. You get that? Mm-hmm. You follow that? Yeah. And and I, I think the same thing happens to us in life is that when we're in situations where we shut down, we actually die. A little of us dies inside, man. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that's hard to get back. So mm-hmm. that, that's where I, I think I was trying to tell you that, Luis, is, yeah, you know, brother, you, you, can't, you can't live in that moment. You can't stay in that moment. You cannot give up on yourself. You're going to pick that daggum thing up. You're going to move forward, and you're going to prove to yourself that I, I can do this. I'm better than this because you're, you're, you're going to face it. And even if you're not able to do it head on, you find another way or yeah. you get help from around you. But you can't. You know, he down. was he was so instrumental in helping Brendan this year because Luis has lived through that. And, you know, when we right. all have and, you know, Brendan, Brendan was gut wrenched. I mean, really. Uh, and and you get to that point where you just want to check out and, man, you know, try to, to regroup and maybe this ain't for me. And I mean, all these things go through your head, mm-hmm. but yep. it's my brothers that are in camp with me every day that put things in perspective. Yes. I thought Luis did a fantastic job with that. And uh, sometimes it's not receivable either because you, you just aggravated, you know, I thought we did a good job of getting the wheels back on the bus for him. 
and and he'll tell you that. He's going to be a tough, even tougher cookie because of that. I'm looking forward to my brother Brendan sealing this deal up this year and and making it happen. Yeah, you know, you know I, I think I think he'll tell you the same thing. Absolutely, you know, man. He felt the way Luis felt. You know? So you people that are listening to this, um, this has been very special in that you actually have been on our shoulder for the exact same conversations that we as men have had with each other uh, in elk camp. Some of the things that we've gone, that we've gone through together that makes this brotherhood with us, that makes this camaraderie that, you know, the things that we have shared with each other that only stay most of the time within our own group. So you've been very privileged to hear some of this tonight. And uh, yeah, they're very uh, intimate details that, that you, you, ain't you, know, you pick a little scab, they can open up and a wound and it bleeds a little bit. You yeah, can hear the pain in Luis's voice. Absolutely. You can, man. You hear and, the pain and, and mine and Joe talking about those things. And I, and I think um, that's why Luis appreciated Chad's, you know, uh, yeah. you know, story so much. And I, and why we do oh anybody gosh, that's been in absolutely. that appreciates that and, and that type of journey. So, guys, um, uh, I can I can I give yeah. one more real quick? Yeah, you fellas, when you go to the Elk Mountains and you borrow a trailer, go check how old the tires are. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna tell you right now, a tire that's over five years old, replace all of them, because okay? they're gonna blow out one by one by one by one on the road to wherever. And if you got to travel over 13 hours, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That 13 hours is going to become 18 hours real quick, Yes, right? a 22 to 24 hour trip <laughs> where you're changing tires on the side of the, and make sure your spare is accessible. Okay. And it's new as well, right? So uh, we have I'm, lived all of those things. I know so, it happened to you, uh, uh, Gilbert, but it happened to us as well. And the Best part of all of it, the way I made lemonade out of those lemons was being able to tell Manano, I told you so. <laughs> well, guys, we hope you enjoyed this section. We're going to go to our Elk Bros mailbox. We're, uh, we're already at an hour and 23, so we're going to try to uh, cover some of these and, and do a good job for yeah. you. Our first one, our first question comes from Carl from San Jose, California. San Jose, awesome, man. Um, and he asks, which would you recommend for a first-time elk hunter? Uh, back, oh, so it's backpacking, tent camping into the backcountry or using a vehicle base camp. And, uh, um, you know. Depends, man. Uh, yeah, it depends on the experience mm -hmm. you want. It depends mm -hmm. on the experience you want. I would tell uh, a first-time elk hunter to put themselves in the best position for success. And personally, I think that would be a, um, a base camp situation where if things aren't going your way, you're easy to pull up roots and go to another area, especially if you're hunting something like Colorado. If you backpack and you're a first-time elk hunter, you know, I, I want you to think about the things that are difficult already are you're trying to know how to elk hunt one. And mm -hmm. unless you are somebody that has already backpacked uh, and back done pack backpack hunting uh, into the um, back country, that in itself can be a trial and a tribulation. Yeah. So you have when, to know the area very, very well too, because 
you don't having a second opportunity to relocate your camp is going to be another feat. Oh, you go, so, you know, think how long it's going to take you to get back there. If you're going in eight miles or something like that, mm -hmm. even six miles, five miles. And yeah. then you end up trying to now get out of there and go someplace else is a lot of lost hunting time. So, um, oh, one thing I would tell you, brother, is whatever you're going to do, if you're going to stay in a tent and this can go back to mishaps real quick, if you're going to stay in a tent, Bring a tarp, son, because they all tell you they're waterproof. Uh -uh. Don't believe Man, it. Man, did you let me down? Tarp. I thought you were going to say, make sure you bring a pillow. <laughs> well, that too. But I'm going to tell you right now, ain't nothing like waking up in the middle of the night when you got a river running through your tent, son. It is no fun. Yeah, Beto just don't, he just doesn't buy good, good tents. See, I bought a really good tent that that didn't happen to me so i'm gonna uh, choke him man and, <laughs> and, I, and i'm gonna tell you too when when you go when you go deep in you better be prepared for that with other things as well i mean if something goes wrong yes. if you have a partner that's helpful if you're by yourself you got to have things in case something goes wrong Safety. um in, in a lot of different ways right and yeah. I, I i would tell you for, for a first time elk hunter i would tell you to to do a base camp with a vehicle nearby yeah. um and so that you can change different places so you don't get caught up in one area and so that you're not having to deal with a lot of other things other than elk hunting so that's yeah. my advice on that I, i'm good i'm stuff, not sure if you guys um the next one is from chris stevens from lincoln nebraska he says that Colorado has a muzzleloader hunt. Oh, I know exactly what this is about. Mm -hmm. uh, Colorado has a muzzleloader hunt concurrent with the archery season at what seems to be one of the best times to hunt. Would you as an archery hunter avoid hunting with the muzzleloaders there or hunt through? And what he's talking about, guys, if you take a look at that week before uh, the 21st of Equinox or right on the 22nd. I think those, I think there's a section in there of seven, eight days, maybe even 10 days in there that um, in the middle of the archery hunt, where in Colorado they have a, a limited muzzleloader hunt. So you have bow hunters and muzzleloaders hunting at the same time um, during prime time. And uh, I think we even talked about this a little bit when we talked about Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, what <laughs> I, I personally don't like being in the woods when there's bullets going around, when I'm acting like mm -hmm. an elk trying to put on a scenario and act like a bull or, or definitely not using a decoy or something like that mm -hmm. out there. So personally myself i'd be like let them have it what what i would do is i would actually use that time especially like if you had and if i remember right there's a weekend at the end of that muzzleloader hunt um that i would actually go in and i would communicate with some hunters in some of their camps to find out what they've seen what they haven't seen um mm -hmm. i would use it for travel time i'd use it for setting up my camp uh, but me personally I'm not hunting with the muzzleloaders out there. My wife loves me too much, man. So <laughs> Yeah, I want to come home with the same amount of holes in my body as I went out there with. Absolutely, man. And uh and if you do decide to go out there, you better be wearing a lot of orange, man. And uh, yeah. Yeah. um Safety and, and don't first, think though. the muzzleloaders aren't bugling. They're doing that, but 
they're actually trying to put themselves in an opposite in an opposite situation. They want to get an animal in an open area where you want to get an animal into a thick area, into a tight uh, setup. They don't. They want to bugle up an animal in the open. So. Um, I don't know those guys out there with those weapons. I don't know how good they are, what kind of hunters they are. So um, my vote is, is I'm using that weekend for me to, to travel, set up, and do some recon, and that's about it. So, Amen. I, you know, for me, I, I don't want to be out there when them bullets are sailing by me. Uh, you know, we bow hunt while rifle season's going on on our deer lease. Uh, I happen to try to get away from everybody that's uh, shooting a rifle. So I don't rifle hunt or or bow hunt necessarily where a bunch of guys are going to be rifle hunting. And are those guys in tree stands, bro? When they're right. When they're in elevated box blinds. Yeah. So, so, uh, so you do have some control over angle and stuff like that though. Right. And you you do, you do, but it's still, you know, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Right. Uh, Even when it goes through an animal, it can go, you know, half a mile, Joe. So you got to be real careful guys, you know, uh, wear that orange. uh, And if you're going to hunt through, uh, but for me, I would say, no, I would wait. And like Joe said, but make sure you can set up on either the front end of it or the back end where you can set your times to hunt and uh, give them a pass. I wish Colorado and I wish y'all, I tell you what you can do as a hunter in Colorado. You could, you could really petition Colorado and send some, some, uh, some correspondence in about changing that. Cause Absolutely, I think that's, yeah. I think it's not good. No, I, I agree. I totally opportunity agree. for somebody to get hurt. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Joe, it's been a fantastic show. Uh, totally you guys got it. anything that y'all want to close with? Or no, y'all sir, good? man. Um, uh, don't, don't forget to go to elkbros.com and, and look for our giveaway. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, milestone that giveaway is going to be – the milestone giveaway is going to be epic. Guys, let me tell you something. Joe has been working, and Chad, they've been working on our academy. It is going to be off the dadgum reservation i'm telling you straight up fellas uh y'all keep looking for that joe keeps working we're working on the backside too with our some more swag and uh it's going to be awesome when it hits the hits the shelf we appreciate all our listeners out there sending their questions in guys if you like what we do please subscribe rate and and review you got to go to apple podcast or itunes to review us and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And always understand, if you want a question aired on our show, we're going to go do some more live stuff for sure. But if you want a question aired on our show, just send it to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Joe, another unbelievable show. I Milestone it, show at that. Guys, you thank know, you so much for what y'all did tonight too. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Absolutely. I want to close with something that's real near and dear to my heart. Uh, you guys know I got a little ditty when I, when I say it when I get out of here. But I really want everybody out there listening to our show to understand something. Love your neighbor above all things. Love your neighbor. Husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broadhead sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Thank you, guys. Peace, peace, y'all. Peace.